Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As I mentioned in my prayer, December of 2021 marks three years since the raid on the early reign covenant church in China. Perhaps you remember that we were praying for them three years ago, and I have to confess that they've sort of fallen out of my mind. I haven't prayed as faithfully for them as at first, but their sufferings continue to go on. Uh, the pastor continues to be in prison, sent, uh, serving a nine-year sentence. His wife and son are, are carefully watched so that they can't have contact with other church members. But the church members, as they're able to, are continuing to meet and they're continuing to get harassed and visited by authorities and hauled into jail and so on and then released. And so that continues to go on. They're continuing to meet, continuing to pray, continuing to live out their faith in a hostile environment. And for us, that sounds very exotic. That sounds very foreign because it's not part of our experience. But we should realize that their experience what the pastor is experiencing, what that church is experiencing, is actually more typical, more typical of Christian experience uh, in many places and throughout the ages. Uh, persecution of Christians is a normal sort of thing for the church to deal with, and we see that from the very, very beginning. These letters that we are looking at, that this letter particularly, is part of what are called the prison letters of Paul, and there are four letters that were written from prison, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, and Philemon. And Paul found himself, if you know anything about his, his trajectory and his experience, he found himself often uh, in prison and uh, being persecuted. So while their experience may seem foreign to us, it is actually a normal sort of existence for many Christians throughout the ages and Throughout, uh, throughout the world today. And so, uh, we don't know what's coming for us in our part of the world, but whatever that might be, we can learn from them how to handle adverse circumstances. And that's what we see here. Paul is writing a letter, and what we have here in this section is what we could call a missionary support uh, letter. A missionary support letter, a missionary thank you letter. I was a missionary, I wrote many of these letters. I wrote constantly, and I'm still doing that. There are people who support us uh, to get this mission started here, and I, I report how things are going. And what we have here is Paul's report of how things were going, and he's writing to a church that supported him very, very faithfully. Now, um, we have his reflection on the preaching of the gospel, and then the preachers of the gospel. So the first uh, verses, 12 to 14, 
preaching of the gospel, verses 15 to 17, preachers of the gospel. And then in verse 18, his response to all of this, his reaction. Now, his, his circumstances looked like they were adverse to the preaching of the gospel. And that was the big concern here. That was the concern he wanted to address. The Philippians were far away. They were likely very concerned about Paul. They were they were uh, agitated about the fact that he had been sidelined, that he wasn't able to preach the gospel. What is happening with Paul? How is he faring? And what about his ministry? Such a great ministry. What's happening to Paul's ministry since he's restricted and he's in prison? Now, he was probably in Rome. This was probably the imprisonment about which we read at the end of Acts, probably. Although there are some scholars that think it was either Caesarea or, um, or Ephesus, but the most likely one is Rome. How did he end up in Rome? He ended up in Rome after being falsely accused, beaten up, jailed, tried before the Jewish Sanhedrin, tried before two Roman governors, uh, left in jail without really without process, and finally sent to Rome to stand before the emperor. Now, between his arrest in Jerusalem and his release in Rome, somewhere between four and five years had passed. Four and five years. So here's the great apostle, sidelined, apparently, not able to do his, his evangelistic ministry, one of the great leaders of the church of his day, and he is in jail for four or five years. And the Philippians were concerned. Now, they also were facing opposition. And here's where we come into this, this situation. They were facing opposition, and so Paul was talking about his situation and his reaction to that situation, in part to teach them how to react to adverse circumstances. So that's the takeaway for us. This is an example, not, or not only a report about Paul, but it's an example. How do you deal with unjust or adverse circumstances? And so what he said, and we see this in verse 12, he wrote them to encourage them, and he said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You all are concerned. I'm here in jail. And you're concerned that the gospel can't go forth if I'm in jail. But guess what? My circumstances have served to advance the gospel. And he says that's happened in two separate ways. The first way is in verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. So the, the rumor was spreading. He was under guard there, and he would have been guarded by the, the imperial guard, and there would have been guards coming in and out of his cell, and guess what these guards were hearing every time they came in and out of his cell? They were hearing about this Jewish prisoner who was there, because he was a preacher of this one called Christ. And so the word was getting out in all the imperial guard that he was imprisoned because he was a follower of this one called Christ. But not only the guard, he says kind of vaguely here in verse 13, he says, and to all the rest. All the rest of what? Well, it's unclear, but it looks like not only the guard, but all the rest maybe of the, the court, the royal court, those who worked in the royal administration of the emperor, or maybe throughout Rome, but, but this, was, this was spreading like wildfire. This news about this odd prisoner who was to stand before the emperor 
because he was a preacher of this one called Christ. That was the first way. That was the first way the gospel was going out. The second was, verse 14, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, this is, this is, this is surprising, isn't it? Paul is in prison, and that makes them more confident to preach the gospel. You would think it would be the opposite, right? Paul's in prison. You would think they would say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want that to happen to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a low profile here. I'm going to try to fly under the radar so the same thing doesn't happen to me. But on the contrary, his example stirred them up so that they were preaching the gospel more boldly without fear. Now, uh, it's worth asking ourselves how we would respond if all of a sudden Christian leaders were getting rounded up and, and thrown into prison. How would we respond? Would we, would we keep our heads down or would we be encouraged to, to preach the gospel more boldly? These Roman Christians, if that's where they were, likely, they were encouraged to preach the gospel without fear. And you see how these two things could work together, right? The rumor is going out among the guard, and then the guards tell their wives, and the, the wives are talking about it among themselves, and the palace people are talking about this, this prisoner who is a preacher of the Christ or Christ or whoever this might be, and then all of a sudden somebody comes and says, hey, I'm a follower of this Christ, and let me tell you about him. And so all this was working together so that the gospel was going forth. Now, Paul doesn't define the gospel here, but he uses this, this word, Preach Christ, preach the gospel. Now, the gospel is simply the news about Christ. It's the news that the Son of God became man, that he lived in obedience to the law, that he died for sinners in our place, that he rose from the dead to conquer over death, that he ascended to the right hand of God, and he offers eternal life and salvation to all who believe in him. That's the, the message that they were preaching. That's the same message of the gospel today. Now, um, that's all great, right? Everything that sounds like it's going swimmingly well. And then Paul actually in verse 15 says, well, though, not everything's just right. Not everything's perfect here because there are a couple of different groups preaching the gospel. And these two groups are preaching the gospel for two different sets of reasons. And you need to know about this. Um, the motivation here is different in these two groups. And Paul here describes these two groups very kind of um, stylistically, literarily, in a sense, because he, he does what, um, he, he talks about the structure is A, B, B, A, A, B. Now, that may not make much sense, but he talks about two groups. Let's say the, the, the bad group and the good group. And so he talks about good group, bad group, bad group, good group, good group, bad group. And so he, he alternates. He goes back and forth. And that's a, very, that's a very Hebrew way of doing things, this crisscrossing pattern. And he does it a double crisscross here. And, and, and what he does, he talks about their motivations. I'm not going to do the crisscross pattern. I'm going to group them together and, and, and describe these two groups um, in, in terms of, of what was driving them. So one group, verse 15, we meet them there. Some indeed... Preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So there we have both groups. The one group from envy and rivalry. Now, there's a difficult difficulty here 
in identifying who these might be. Who are these folks that are preaching out of envy and rivalry? Um, are they believers? Are they not believers? Are they enemies of the gospel? Are they, are they fans of the gospel? Are they believers in the gospel? Who are these people? And the difficulty is this. Um, they are classed here with the brothers. So the brothers and sisters. They're classed as Christians. So it looks like these are Christians. But at the same time, Paul is attributing to them motivations, envy and rivalry, which he usually attributes to those who do not have the Spirit of God. Um, in, the, in the list of the works of the flesh, in Galatians 5, he mentions envy and rivalry. And so we have, a, have kind of a hybrid here of, of those he's calling brothers and sisters, but at the same time, he's attributing to them characteristics which are characteristics of the flesh. He also accused them of preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, verse 17. He says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. And then we find what they were trying to do. But thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. The, the, the expression is to add pressure to Paul's chains in his imprisonment. As it were, to make his chains tighter in imprisonment. Now, what could this mean? Apparently, it means that they were trying to take advantage of the fact that the great Paul was sidelined and make some progress themselves as preachers, to make a name for themselves and to try to gall Paul and to get him upset that he's not able to be out there making converts for himself while they're able to do that. Now, that, that misunderstood Paul, and it also was a, a, a vile motivation on their part. And in verse um, verse 18, he sums them up by saying that they were preaching in pretense, in pretense. Now, um, the other group, we'll get back to this group, but the other group uh, preached out of goodwill. Uh, go back to verse 15. Some from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And then the latter do it out of love. Love for whom? Well, apparently love for Paul. You see, there were those who envied Paul and felt themselves to be in rivalry with Paul. And the contrast were those who loved Paul. And so they wanted to be about the same thing that Paul was about. And so they preached out of love for Paul. But in their love for Paul, they were demonstrating their love for Christ as well. And uh, there's a contrast here. In verse 16, it says, The latter do it out of love, knowing. Now the former proclaimed Christ thinking. In verse 17, so the, they, they thought that they could cause problems for Paul in his, in his afflictions in prison. They thought he, they could, but they couldn't. But then the, the, the good group, the group with the, that was working out of goodwill, knew that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, this is interesting. Knowing that I am put here, knowing that I am placed here, we could translate that. Knowing that I am stood here. Knowing that I am stationed here. And this is what's called a divine passive. And this is all through scripture. Divine passive. When, when you have these passives, you should ask yourself, who put him there? Who placed him there? Who stationed him there? And, and that's, that's what's implicit here. But they knew that Paul was placed there. He was stationed there for the for the defense of the gospel. And obviously he was placed there by whom? Somebody said it, by God himself. And they understood that. 
They understood Paul was in prison because God placed Paul in prison for the purpose of the defense of the gospel. Now, notice that, that this is very, this would have been a big surprise to those before whom he was standing. If you would have asked the, the court, the imperial court, why is Paul here? Uh, maybe the accusation was he's a rabble rouser. He's, he's, a, he, he's treasonous. He's preaching another Lord. But in Paul's mind, he was there for one reason and one reason only, to defend the gospel. He wasn't there to defend himself. He wasn't there to defend his behavior. Any opportunity that he had to speak before others, he said, this is an opportunity to defend the gospel. And they understood that. And Paul's description of them, this group, was that they preached in truth. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. So this is the truth group. Now, before we go on and look at Paul's reaction, we should, we should notice something here. And this is a troubling thing that we should notice. And that is the troubling possibility of true Christians doing right things for the wrong reasons. Doing right things for the wrong reasons. It looks like these were true Christians that had base motivations to do something that is very praiseworthy to preach the gospel in a dangerous situation. But somehow Paul knew that their motivations were out of line. And I have to confess that I, I know this experience not just theoretically, but I know it personally as well. I remember coming back from the airport in Guadalajara with some men uh, with whom I was traveling, and I was in the front seat. There were a couple guys in the back. I was in the front seat, and I engaged the taxi driver in a conversation, and I began to share the gospel with him. Now, would you say that was a good thing for me to do? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that was a good thing for me to do, and it, it wasn't the only time I did that. I, I tried to do that fairly regularly when I was in a taxi to try to engage the taxi driver, and so I did that. But I have to admit this, that I was motivated in part by the fact that my supervisor was in the back seat. <laughs> And I wanted him to see what a good missionary I was. Yeah, so I was doing the right thing, but I was doing it, at least in part, for the wrong reason. And, and so I, I see this even in myself, and I think all of us can see this in ourselves, this, this troubling possibility of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Now, um, we're going to get to Paul's reaction now. But before we get to that, I want you to, this is kind of a preview of coming attractions. In chapter 2, in chapter 2, Paul is going to talk about motivations. He's going to talk about right motivations. So we ought not to suppose that Paul is saying, oh, well, it really doesn't matter what motivates you. Actually, it does. In chapter 2, he's really going to talk about the importance of, of what motivates us. And so, so not only should we be striving for right actions, but also, for purified motivations for those right actions. This is not indifference here, as we'll soon see. But at the same time, verse 18, and this is where we're going. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, yes, we'll talk about the motivations in a little bit, but I want to leave it very, very clear that as I am here in prison, unjustly, 
placed here by God for the defense of the gospel, this is my overwhelming attitude. I rejoice. Why? Because my being here is causing the gospel to advance even more. I rejoice. Now, this is the big picture. Now, we're going to be talking about joy throughout this letter. Joy comes up many, many times throughout this letter. And we've already seen it introduced, and here, here it comes up again. And we're going to be trying to work on, if not a definition, at least some sort of a description of, of what joy is. All of us know what joy is when we experience it, even if we can't describe it very well. Uh, a deep-seated sort of happiness, uh, a lightheartedness, a, a positive feeling in our, in our souls. But here I want you to see that Paul's joy was based on circumstances. You know, sometimes, as I mentioned last week, sometimes we think joy is not based on circumstances. Happiness goes up and down with circumstances. Joy is not based on circumstances. On the contrary, Paul is basing his joy on the circumstance of the gospel going forth. But notice, it's based on some of his circumstances, not all of them. He is not focusing on the fact of his unjust imprisonment. He's not focusing on the fact of the deprivation of liberty. He's not focusing on the fact that he can't get to his friends and his family members, that he can't worship with his church. Those are circumstances. But he is trying to look beyond those to other circumstances, to bigger circumstances that are part of the big picture of what God is doing in the world and through him. And he says, because of this, these big ones, what God is doing behind these little ones that might be difficult in the moment, because of the big picture, I rejoice. Now, I don't think that was any more automatic for Paul than it is for you or me. Paul, Paul had, to, had to fight for that joy, I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't easy to be sidelined and to be imprisoned, shipwrecked and, and deprived of, of all the things that he suffered for four to five years. But, but he, he had to make an effort as a human being and as a believer, an effort to focus on the bigger things, not just what he himself was experiencing. So for us have to, to have this same ability to rejoice, we must be as convinced that the most important thing that we can be involved in is the extension of the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, because of that single-minded focus in Paul, he was able to cut through the other circumstances and get to the big picture about what God is doing in the world and aligning his life with that big picture and seeing how his sufferings could contribute to that big picture, he says, I'm rejoicing. This is fantastic that even my imprisonment can contribute to this goal of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, throughout history, circumstances have not looked favorable to the advancement of the gospel many times. There have been persecutions, there have been wars, there have been famines. There have been pandemics, and there have been things that have, have prevented God's people from getting the gospel out as effectively as we might like. Islam, communism, secular humanism, various, various movements that have persecuted Christians or resisted Christians or made Christianity illegal. The pandemic safety measures to try to stop the pandemic. Sometimes we live long enough to see how these turned out for the extension of the gospel. Other times we don't. 
Other times it's going to be later generations that are going to have to read the history books and say, oh, okay, now we get it. Now we look back to 2019, 2020, 2021. Now we see something of what God is doing. We may or may not see the big picture in our day, and whether or not we do, whether or not we can trace the, the line between the dots and say, oh, this is what God was doing to extend the gospel, we can be sure that this is what he is about in this world. And we can, by faith, affirm that what he is doing, even as we sang today, whatever my God ordains is right. Not only were we praying for the the early rain covenant church a few years ago, you may also, those of you who were around then, may remember that we were praying for something much more local. We were praying for a Pompano pastor named Luis, who was in Chrome Detention Center. You see, Luis had entered our country without papers over 50 years ago, but he was able eventually to get all that worked out legally, and he was in the country legally, and he was serving God faithfully. By the way, Luis died last year. But he was serving God faithfully uh, for decades here in Pompano Beach. Well, he got contacted by some immigration agents, and they asked him for some help. They needed some information and asked him for some help, and Luis was the kind of guy that was always willing to help everybody. And when they met up, it was at his church, and the agents came up. Uh, instead of getting his help, what they wanted to do was to detain him. And so they said, well, we can either put you in handcuffs or you can come with us willingly. But the congregation was there, and so he didn't want this to be a scene. And so Luis went cheerfully and willingly with them. And they took him to Chrome Detention Center where they did some, some psychological stuff on him by, by putting him in chains and putting him on a bus and saying, we're taking you to Mexico. And then they take him back off the bus and so on. And those of us who were friends of Luis and finding out about this, we were, we were indignant. We're indignant that this was happening here in our land and, and right, right near us to one of our friends. We were also concerned about how poor Luis was holding up. He wasn't a young man. We were concerned about his little congregation that, that was, uh, how would they do in his absence? And so there was all this concern about Luis. The mayor of Pompano Beach got involved and others got involved and, and were able to secure Luis's release from detention center. The next time I saw Luis, at, um, at a, a meeting for, for pastors, a prayer meeting for pastors here in Pompano, he was beaming from ear to ear like he always was every time I saw him. And he explained what was happening. While we were worrying about poor Luis in Chrome Detention Center, he says, do you know what we were doing in Chrome Detention Center? He said, every day we organized a worship service in the patio. And scores of people came from nations, uh, detained people from nations all over the planet. And we were worshiping God loudly in the middle of Chrome Detention Center every single day. We were like the Philippians. We were, we were concerned about Luis. Oh, poor Luis, what's happening with Luis? And I asked him, Luis, how's your church doing? Oh, my church is doing great. Everybody picked up the slack. They were great. They went on. We were all concerned. What could possibly, what good could possibly come out of this injustice? And then we found out that what Luis was doing was preaching the gospel to the nations in Chrome Detention Center. And for that reason, he was rejoicing. Now, what was the secret of Luis's joy? The same secret of Paul's joy. And it's the same secret of our joy if we will have it. 
You see, if we develop the same perspective on what's real, on what's important, what God is doing, and what we're to be doing in league with that, if we develop that same perspective that Paul had, that Luis had, and that many other believers have, then we can enter into that same joy that they experience as well. Let's pray. Our God, we, we thank you for the example of Paul, recognizing that he was flesh and blood just like we are, that his wrists hurt, that his stomach got hungry, that he would get down, and that he'd get tired of being in bad situations. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. But we thank you for his example, that he looked beyond those temporary, minimal circumstances to the maximal thing, the, what you're doing in the world, and he rejoiced because the gospel was going forth. Lord, it's easy for us to wring our hands and wonder what's happening, what you're doing. We hear reports about the church. We are concerned about the pandemic. We hear of all sorts of things around the globe. And also, in a smaller scale in our lives, we face obstacles, we face adversities, and we can get down. We pray, O oh God, that you would lift our eyes up and help us to see that bigger picture so that we might have that same perspective, so that we might be about what your kingdom is about and getting this message of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected to the ends of the earth, and that we would be able, no matter what happens in our lives and our world, to rejoice. And we pray this in Christ's name.